Hello, wild beings. I hope you are doing so well. I am overly thrilled to produce this podcast or publish it. Chuck is such an amazing human that I have been honored to have met. He is an environmental artist, the owner of the Earth Sanctuary on Whidbey Island in Washington. He's the author of Secrets of Sacred Space, the president of Tibet Tech Prayer Wheels, and the co-executive director of Sakya Monastery of Tibetan Buddhism. Chuck was recognized in the September 2008 issue of Science of Mind magazine as one of the 12 people making a difference in the world. And he definitely has made a difference in the world and personally in my world. The Earth Sanctuary, which is such an amazing space, has given me such peace and really uplifted my consciousness and my thinking and I'm just so grateful for him and I hope you enjoy this episode. I would really appreciate it if you would share if you enjoyed it with a friend. Um, follow me on Instagram at livingwildwithm and I would love to chat with you about anything that this podcast brings up in your mind. So have a fabulous day and enjoy the episode. Perfect. Hello, I am so excited today to be joined with my friend Chuck. I first found out about the Earth Sanctuary because I came over to Whidbey Island with my mom when she was visiting here and I had never been to Whidbey Island and we were in the little town Langley walking through the shops and I was we were in one shop and the woman that worked at the shop was really nice and I asked her where's places on the island we can go that a lot of tourists don't go to or just like special places that we should go check out. And so she wrote a list down of like five different places and the Earth Sanctuary was one of them. And immediately I said, oh, I really want to go to the Earth Sanctuary. We didn't really know anything that it would be like. So then my mom and I came here and we walked around and it was just beautiful and amazing. And I really loved it. So I we spent like the whole day here walking around and then... Two of my best friends who are very into meditation and spiritual people grew up in Washington and I asked them, oh, have you ever been to the Earth Sanctuary? And they said no. And so I decided to take them to the Earth Sanctuary like the next weekend, which is on Whidbey Island. So we just took a little ferry over. So then my friends and I were here and we were meditating in the stone circle and we meditated for like 45 minutes and then we we opened our eyes and then Chuck appeared (laughs) through the forest he came there and he just told us that he was the owner of the earth sanctuary so I thought that was special just a very not coincidental but just uh, amazing way of meeting so thank you so much for joining me Chuck and for creating the earth sanctuary well thank you good to be here thank you Emily (laughs) of course so first I would just love to hear a little bit about your journey or your life um, and how you got to be where you are today. (laughs) Well, I grew up in Ithaca, New York, which is a great place to grow up. I got a great education. Uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. I got a degree in psychology. I got interested in Buckminster Fuller, so we built a bunch of geodesic domes and inflatables and um, zooms. And we found out that people who went into those places felt different 
than in regular rectangular buildings. And I got very interested in the effect of space on consciousness. So I went to study with Buckminster Fuller at his design school at Southern Illinois University Carbondale, um, where I uh, went to play the world game, which is Fuller's way of kind of how to make the world work. And when I got there, everybody was meditating. So I started meditating two hours a day and uh, built a beautiful dome there, did a private press, and then went back to Ithaca and went to work, support my family. Mm-hmm. In New York? Ithaca, New York. And then how did you move out to Washington? Uh, I worked for my father and uh, he sold his company uh, to um, Toledo Scale. And so I went to work for Toledo Scale in Columbus, Ohio. And I was there for three years, started a software company doing children's educational software. Mm. And uh, we had licensed the software to Reader's Digest software. But Mrs. Wallace, the head of Reader's Digest, passed away and the new fellow decided he didn't want to be in the software business. Mm. So I was out of business, so I moved to Seattle. <laughs> wow, and then how, did you immediately move to Whidbey Island or what made you move over to the island? Well, I had friends from Ithaca who were living on Whidbey Island at the time, so I've, I've been coming here since 85. Okay, and then you decided to just live here now. That's amazing. Great. So what made you, where did your passion stem to start creating the sacred spaces? Or um, building those domes that you built in college? Well, in, back in Ithaca, New York, I got involved with a group called the Foundation of Light that was mainly... Um, very older spiritual people who were uh, some of the world's experts actually in healing and dowsing and things like that. So uh, uh, I got interested in dowsing and learned how to find water wells and then uh, visited England in 75 and uh, went to various stone circles and when I went to them they altered my consciousness. I could meditate faster, deeper. So I decided to figure out how they built these places, you know, got a degree in design, got a degree in psychology, how did they do it? Mm -hmm. So I started researching in 1977, we built the Ellis Hollow Stone Circle in Ithaca, which is still there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it worked, it still works. It's a beautiful, powerful place. Wow, that's amazing. What was the word that you said, one of the domes starting with a geo? One of the domes a geo? Are there zones? Zones. Inflatables. What is that? An inflatable is um, something made typically of something like polyethylene that's created in the shape or shapes. And uh, they are blown up with a fan and they're very cool spaces. And you sit inside of them? Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. Perfect. So, what are some of your favorite sacred spaces that you have been to? Uh, I love Colonish on the Isle of Lewis. Mm. Uh, I love the Orkney Islands, Maze Howe, Ring of Bogar, Stones of Stennis, Scarabray. Bray. Um, uh, just a very beautiful place. And I uh, love Avabury. That's kind of Long Barrel. Avabury. Where's that at? Uh, it's in southern England. Those are in southern England. Okay. Is that where you do a lot of your traveling? Uh, I've been to England and Scotland, Ireland many times. Mm -hmm. And uh, lately, 
uh, my wife and I go there to walk. We do long distance walks. Oh wow, what kind of long distance walks? Uh, the last one we did was uh, about 180 miles on the Cornwall, Cornwall part of the uh, Southwest Coast Path. Wow, and then when you're there, are you, do you camp? Uh, some people camp. We stay in B&Bs and inns and pubs and things like that. Oh, that's fun. How long does it take you to do the 180 miles? Um, well, we don't really, uh, I think it took us 18 days or something mm, like that. Beautiful. And then you're just walking all day. That's amazing. So you wrote a book. What is your book called? The book is called Secrets of Sacred Space, and it's up on Amazon. There's a Kindle version, and uh, there's a paperback version that's out of print, but there are used copies for sale. Mm. And what is your book about, or what are the main topics that you discuss in that book? It's How to Create Places of Power. When did you write that book? I wrote it for, it took about 20 years, and I think it came out in 1999 or thereabouts. Congratulations. <laughs> That's a great accomplishment. <laughs> so then we're sitting here at the Earth Sanctuary. So how did the Earth Sanctuary begin? Uh, well, in 2000, I sold all my stocks and decided to do something good with my money. I wanted to do a sculpture garden of sacred spaces. Uh, so I uh, got a local real estate agent and uh, he did a pretty good job of scoping out what I wanted and said he knew a place that wasn't on the market, but we could go take a look at it. Uh, when I came here, everything was blackberries. There were no trails. There was no parking areas. There were no roads. It was uh, completely overgrown. So we made an offer and the, to the fellow who owned it was a doctor who actually emailed me uh, several times of how pleased he is with what, what we've done here. And uh, then we just started working. Wow, so you had to pave all the trails and everything, it was... Yep. And when, what year was that that you started, so 2000? 2000. So then do you mind just explaining some of the different structures you have here and then the meaning behind them? Uh, there's the dolmen, uh, which is uh, kind of a stone table or if you will, an above ground cave that's symbolic of the feminine principle, the womb. Uh, it's a, it was the first sacred space here. Uh, it's a wonderful place for meditation. Uh, there's the labyrinth. It's a three-circuit labyrinth with a Pennsylvania bluestone and a Salal path. There's the cottonwood stone circle, uh, two Native American medicine wheels, uh, the Tibetan Buddha stupa, uh, the Svenstone circle, and a variety of other sacred spaces and contemporary artworks, environmental mm. artworks. What are the Tibetan prayer wheels? Uh, prayer wheels are um, wheels that have prayers in them. Mm -hmm. uh, the prayer wheels that we have by the Cottonwood Stone Circle and on the way to the Dolmen are, have a, are the most powerful prayer wheels in the world. They, are, they have filled with DVDs. Traditional prayer wheels are filled with rolled up paper with mantras printed on them. Mm -hmm. uh, each of the prayer wheels there have 1.3 trillion prayers in them. And the way prayer wheels work is when you spin them clockwise with an intention of may all beings be happy, may all beings be free of suffering, 
It has the same benefit as if you just said as many prayers as there are inside the prayer wheel times how many times it goes around. Mm -hmm. So the prayer wheels here have gone around approximately 3.5 million times times 1.3 trillion. A lot of prayers. That's amazing. What is the purpose of the labyrinth? The labyrinth is a, an ancient uh, sacred space. It, um, there's a famous shark cathedral labyrinth. Uh, the, the labyrinth here is uh, similar to a labyrinth on the island of Crete. And it's a, uh, a mandala, if you will. And it's a, a beautiful symbol of um, higher self and upliftment and realization. And that's the design for the earth sanctuary, correct? Yes. yes. And then what about the birds and the species that are nesting here? Uh, well, one of the reasons I got the property is because of the ponds. Mm -hmm. And the ponds attract lots of wildlife. Uh, there's uh, over a hundred species of birds that have been seen or heard here. Um, there is uh, a lot of wildlife here. And uh, uh, it's uh, just a beautiful place. It definitely is a beautiful place. I love the, the blue herons. Mm -hmm. um, the last time we were here, they're so big and they're all like sitting in the middle of the pond guarding <laughs> actually they're waiting for little fish or something oh <laughs> probably yes waiting for the little fish but yes it's beautiful and you can see the nests so many trees and beautiful birds what is the memorial tree trees that we walking around you see little plaques in front of some of the trees and then there's somebody's name uh, memorial tree what does that mean so i've had people in the past year or so come to me and want to have uh, a memorial for someone who's passed away. So there's a, a stone sculpture up there that by the trail that was brought here by three brothers. One of the brothers is a sculptor. He did that as a memorial for his parents. Uh, there's a Oregon ash along the trail that was, uh, a family asked me to put it there for their son who had passed away, committed suicide. Um, so I've had people come here and do memorials on their own. And one of our goals here is to create an old growth forest, which means we need to plant a lot of trees. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, why don't we have a memorial tree program so people can buy a tree as a memorial to a loved one or even for themselves or as a gift to someone to celebrate a milestone in their life. Mm. And so we started that at the beginning of the year, 2000. But it's 2020, and it's going really well. I think we've got about 14 memorial trees so far. Mm -hmm. I love seeing the different names when you're walking through, and then you almost think of that person um, as you're walking past their And that's uh, very good for them. And then we have the red alder forest where we're going to plant trees this winter. So people who uh, donate $50 or more, I add their name to a list by the, by the red alder forest. Mm. So for people who'd like to help out, but don't want to spend a fair amount of money, they can do that. And uh, so I kind of got the this, this spectrum of, of, of how much it might cost for someone to actually memorialize someone. Mm, okay, so you're, you're going to plant trees this winter? Yes, we plant trees in the winter. Mm, 
how big is the earth sanctuary how many acres of land is it 72 acres mm, wow so it's a you can walk around here all day and it's a good walk well <laughs> two, it's about two miles of trail so it doesn't take that long to walk out it just depends on how fast you walk and how many times you stop how many times you stop it always takes me a long time to walk one way because i'm stopping everything and then i turn around and it seems to go by so much quicker on the no. way back because you're not unless you still stop at them but i love all the different places to stop at and it breaks it up nicely i just think that it's so beautiful thank you you're welcome so then you have hiked 300 miles of the pct when did you do that hmm did that i would say in the um late 80s and 90s. Did you do it by yourself? Uh, most of it by myself. Uh, some of it was done with another person. Mm, very fun. Did you get a trail name? They always say that you get like a trail name for oh, doing- Oh no, that's if you're doing the whole PCT or- Oh, uh, well I still think you deserve the one. The Appalachian Trail, no it, just, just, just walking. Just walking. 300 miles, oh that's a- Well I did it in, parts oh, you know, okay. 50 to maybe 70 miles per mm, wow and you were telling me earlier about how your bag weighed how much did your bag weigh uh, super well, light when you're uh so basically my pack is 20 pounds which is a lot lighter than majority of people's packs i would think yeah well um the lighter the pack the further you can go I think so too. So what do you, you said you use something besides a tent, you use like a... So the thing you do if you're going to do long distance hiking or backpacking, you need to get all your hiking stuff out and you need to weigh it. Mm -hmm. And then you want to find the lightest weight pack and everything that you've got to minimize the weight but still be safe. So um, uh, what I use is I've got a tarp and a space blanket for a uh, ground cloth and um, a sleeping bag and or sometimes I just take a bivy bag. <laughs> nice. That's the most easy way to get a lot of stuff in but not have it weigh 80 pounds. Yeah, that's too much. That's too much. I think so too. That's what I, I have a big bag for backpacking and um, then yeah, when you pile everything in, it definitely is more than 20 pounds. So I need to you don't that need stuff. that much actually yeah that's true i think if you got what did you do for food uh freeze-dried soup food and uh cheese and crackers and just really simple stuff mm -hmm, that doesn't weigh too much and then did you have a water filter mm -hmm. to get water yep mm, nice do you still do a lot of hiking just here just here that's still a good amount yeah when i when we lived in town, it was easy to go to the hikes, but here you got to add at least an hour, hour and a half just to get to Bellevue or at the end of the island. So it just adds so much to the day. Mm -hmm. How long have you lived on the island? About 12 years. Okay. Do you enjoy living on the island? Oh, yes. The best place on the West Coast. Yes, I agree. I love... I the first time I came over to the island I knew it was special um just walking around the town and seeing all of the bunnies in Langley oh yeah <laughs> there's all these bunnies they're just running around I did someone like let them out or do they just are they wild bunnies or they're from the island county fair oh okay the people have um they bring their rabbits and dogs and everybody pigs in for 
judging and then apparently some of them got loose <laughs> and then they propagate they're just all around downtown langley and they're so cute they'll like come right up to you they're so friendly now i guess they're just used to so many people being around there yep so then what is the newest structure that you just built here the ley lines what does that mean uh, ley line is an earth energy uh, there's two kinds of earth energies, ley lines and water lines. And uh, when I was researching ancient monuments and found some of them had power and some of them did, didn't, the ones that had power were the ones that had ley lines and ley line power centers. Uh, so that's why I learned how to douse, is to be able to find those and feel them. And uh, all the, most of the sacred spaces here are over what are called ley line power centers which are a combination of yin and yang energy, yang lei energy, yin underground water energy that create a field that holds strong emotions. Mm. So when people come here, like you meditate in the Cottonwood Circle, some of the energy and upliftment and from that meditation stays in that space. For someone who might come after you, who might have a sympathetic connection to your meditation and it could give them a boost. Mm. So what does dowsing mean? Uh, it's basically uh, finding things using the mind and sensations. And how did you learn how to do, how to do that with the earth? Uh, I was taught by some of the best dowsers on the planet. And uh, I learned how to douse by dowsing water wells. Okay. And then you did the ley lines in 1987. Did you do something in Seattle with the ley lines? The Seattle Arts Commission put out a call for artists to collaborate to create a, an artistic vision of what Seattle could become. So a group of us uh, put together the Geo Group, and uh, as part of that, I doused the city of Seattle for ley lines and ley line power centers. And then we created a beautiful artwork that's part of the 1% uh, for Art Roving Art Collection of the Art, Seattle Arts Commission. Hmm. Did you do the dowsing before you bought this space then, or did you do it after you had purchased the space and go to... Well, I got the space here, First Sanctuary in 2000, and the Ley Line Project, Seattle Ley Line Project, was done in maybe 87, 88. Okay. So then when you were doing the placement of the structures, you just did, you were just finding that place where the power center is, and that's where you decided to put the different structures on this area? Uh, pretty much. Mm, that's so special. Did you do that by yourself, or did you have anybody accompany you with that? I'm helped by the spiritual hierarchy. It's mm, amazing. So then what do you think that the earth, like, the, don't you think all parts of the earth have certain energy, and then just those spots have, like, the powerhouse, or how do you explain that? Uh, you know, there are a lot of, for example, uh, you've been to Europe. Mm -hmm. Did you go to any ancient cathedrals? Mm -hmm. How did it feel? Good. <laughs> it felt special and, you know, easier to get into like a religious state. So the ancients were a lot more in touch with their sensations around the earth than we are. Mm -hmm. They didn't have iPhones and <laughs> video games and TV. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were much more attuned to the earth and they could feel these energies much better than most people can these days. Mm 
I agree with that. I grew up on a 200 acre farm in Colorado. So we always like were in touch with the earth and the seasons. And I feel like just being outside when I grew up, we didn't, I remember my mom would, we had like 20 minutes of, t of screen time or television time. And that's still how I am at my house. I don't have Wi-Fi or TV, <laughs> which is so rare nowadays. Right. But I think that you're exactly right. And we just aren't as connected with the earth and like the cyclical pattern of the seasons and everything. We're just very disconnected from that. <laughs> How do you think that somebody can create a sacred space for themselves? Mm. Well, that's why I wrote the book. Yes. Is to basically explain to people how to do it. Okay, well then they can get you the book and find out how to do it then. <laughs> Just yeah. in their house then, or is that like something that you need to go out of your house to do? Well, you can create a sacred space pretty much anywhere. You can create a beautiful sacred space in your home or apartment. Uh, if you have a yard, you can create uh, perhaps a little labyrinth or uh, something that symbolizes something spiritually important to you in your yard. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, around the intention of uh, creating a place for um, sacredness and spirituality. Mm, beautiful. What is, so a mandala, does that just mean circle or what does mandala mean? Uh, mandala is a symbol of our, of a, our mind, of ourself. Um, it, I recommend uh, get, get the Carl Jung book on mandalas. Mm, okay. Mandalas are the, the symbols that our mind has for our life. Hmm. Amazing. So do you still, you said you started meditating and you meditated two hours a day. So do you still meditate two hours a day? No, I only do about an hour and 15 minutes or hour and a half. That's still a lot and amazing. Do you sit outside always when you're doing it or do you? I do it everywhere. When I come to Earth Sanctuary, I do my practices while I'm walking the trails. Mm. Do you, and you don't do like guided meditation, you just meditate by yourself? Well, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist, so in Tibetan Buddhism, there's a whole set of spiritual practices. Okay. And so uh, I do those. What is your favorite one, if you don't mind sharing? Or just one that you like? Uh, okay, uh, a really good one is uh, Chemrezi, who's the Buddha or Bodhisattva of loving kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. And Chemrezi's mantra is Om Mani Padme Hum. Om Mani Padme Hum. And uh, uh, with a mantra, you just repeat it Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum, Om Mani Padme Hum. Mm -hmm. And so you're filling your mind not only with wholesome uh, thoughts but with a very spiritual, uh, meaningful, and symbolic uh, thoughts. Because Omani Pebyong basically means, may everyone be happy. May everyone be free of suffering. Mm, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Have you always been, were you raised with that religion? Or was that something that you found later in life? Um, well, I grew up in a really wonderful household where I had a lot of freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say that the meditation really started in Carbondale. 
and uh, doing a lot of meditation. Mm -hmm. Did you meet a lot of connections and friends that helped you along that journey with you? Or was it mainly like a solo journey uh, for Mainly you? teachers. Okay, that you had yeah, in... Yeah, no, like this whole in this Jigdal Dakshin Sakya, Haramanas Dhammakushu Sakya, you know, uh, lamas, gurus, spiritual teachers. Mm. How did you meet them? Just by looking for them, or...? Uh, when the student is ready, the master appears. Uh, for as long as Jigdal Dakshin Sakya, my wife Claudia had known the Sakya family for many years, so she introduced me. That's great. So you and your wife share a lot of the same like spirituality and beliefs. Yes. Do you think that's important? Yes. <laughs> with someone that you are a partner with? Yeah, I think it's uh, for partnerships. It's really important to have a partner that you are have a connection with for shared values. And ideally share a spiritual path or religion. Mm -hmm. So you ID, so you have the same values, the same morality and ethic. How did you meet your wife? Uh, through a matchmaker. <laughs> That's very special. So where do you feel most alive? I don't know. I feel alive every day. That's great. I think that's very special. I do too. <laughs> what did you really... So I've seen that what you were discussing earlier about the houses. I saw a couple... Um, this kundalini yogi man that i follow talks a lot about how our houses are rectangular and how that sharp i don't know if my words will be right but the sharp structure of the houses don't create a good space for your brain mm -hmm. um so what did you really learn about that uh well the thing about um Well, square and rectangular houses have a lot going for them. Mm -hmm. uh, round and spherical places are beautiful, but they're really hard to fit in furniture and practical things. Mm -hmm. So they're both good. Um, you know, the problem with domes is that they leak. And uh, this is not a good climate for living in the dome and then if you put shingles over them then they don't look all that great anyhow. Mm -hmm. So how does that affect the how does the space affect consciousness? Like what is it why does that why does the rectangle ex affect your consciousness? Well it has corners that draw your eye to the corners. Uh, I think the real what you really need to do is a close your eyes so you aren't worried about the corners. And it's really all in your mind. So if you're feeling like being in a rectangular room is bad, then it's going to be bad. But mm -hmm. if you don't worry about it, then it's probably not going to make that big a difference. Hmm. What do you think of the lights in houses? Do you think those affect people's consciousness? Uh, everything affects people's consciousness. Yes. <laughs> um, if you're interested in this, I would recommend you study feng shui. Feng shui. What is that? Feng shui is the way of making, uh, energizing a home for prosperity, health, good relationships. Uh, the book I'd recommend is called Interior Feng Shui by Sarah Rosbach. Okay. And it will tell me all about 
Well, I don't know about that, but yeah. <laughs> it's a practical book of how to cure the problems of being in a apartment or home that is not perfect. Mm. Okay. Oh, thank you for the recommendation. I will get that book. Feng Shui. So what did you do on, <laughs> on Earth Day in 1970? Oh, well, in 1970, this is at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Uh, we created a cluster of domes, zones, and inflatables to talk about the earth and the pollution and what was wrong and what should be in terms of the earth. Uh, we did a 40-foot, three-frequency geodesic beautiful dome, which back in those days was with uh, a five-projector slideshow, which was state-of-the-art back then, <laughs> no, nothing like that. No big deal these days. Mm -hmm. and, a, and a whole set of walkthrough domes and zones and inflatables. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And uh, So what were you saying... So that was in 1970, you were talking about what the earth, what was not going, what it shouldn't be, and then what it should be. So what do you think now, since that's been a while and we've probably progressed in? Well, I think we've made some progress. In what ways do you think we've made progress with that? Uh, well, with uh, recycling, mm. uh, a lot more awareness of plastics, of um, less waste, less waste. Um, still a lot more work to be done. Mm -hmm. What do you think are practical ways that, that individuals can help that? Or be, make the earth better? <laughs> hmm. I would say, of course, um, recycle, try and not be wasteful. Uh, donate money to nonprofit environmental groups of your area. Mm -hmm. Washington Environmental Council, for example, it does a really great job providing a, a voice for the environment at the Washington Legislature. Mm. Washington does a pretty good job of protecting the land, doesn't it? I've heard Yeah, I think uh, Washington does, is in the top tier of uh, doing things right. That's good. That's a good place to be then, I guess. So what was your master thesis? I was reading a little bit about it and it was very interesting. Uh, it was called an audiovisual exposition on handbook design. Mm -hmm. And basically I had a private press and I hand printed the Tao Te Ching on a letterpress with handset and kerned type. And um, uh, bound it with, it was done on handmade paper and then bound with handmade paper. Mm, that's amazing. That looks, do you still have it? The book? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Do you look at it ever? Occasionally. <laughs> I would look at it. That's amazing. So how do you think that uh, we got so disconnected from the earth as humans? <laughs> craving. Craving. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by craving? Wanting stuff for oneself. Um, not thinking of others. Uh, not being mindful of the effect of what we do and say on others. Mm. Uh, selfishness. Lack of altruism. Lack of kindness. Lack of love. Mm. Do you believe that deep down we are like all altruistic beings? 
Well, I think we're basically, in essence, Buddhas, or mm -hmm. we just have a lot of obstructions uh, keeping us from knowing that, living it, realizing it. And what are some of the steps you think that we can use to like break away from that pattern and help the collective consciousness? Uh, meditate, mm -hmm. do spiritual practice, uh, be kind, mm -hmm. be generous, uh, avoid impatience, avoid anger. Um, be a good, moral, ethical person. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> I hope so, that everyone can do those things. And I like your words about cravings and us doing things, not thinking about how our words or our actions impact others or impact like the environment that we're in. It's so um, rapid and I want to do this without really thinking about how doing that will impact your external Perfect. environment. <laughs> so then can you explain what the medicine will hear? That's one of my favorite structures and things to do here. I really enjoy it. And I, the first time I saw it, I felt just a very interesting feeling in my body. I was so amazed by it. So can you just explain a little bit about what a medicine wheel is and then what the practice is of doing the medicine wheel? Okay, so the medicine wheel is um, uh, a holy sacred space for Native Americans. Uh, the one that we have here is a, a very traditional medicine wheel. The wheel has got different colored uh, gravel in it. And there's a uh, carefully created protocol of uh, what to do with the medicine wheel. It's done first with purifying through smudge and then holding tobacco, and then going to each of the directions, facing out, doing prayer, then going back and facing in, and then leaving the tobacco on the grandmother's stone. Uh, the purpose of the medicine wheel is to amplify your prayers. And it's done through the uh, help and cooperation of the grandmothers, the grandfathers, and creator. So how did you, are most of the structures, so you said that one's Native American, so then are, are all the other structures stem from different, I don't know the correct word here, but like um, Buddhism or like what is the stone circle? What does that stem from? Um, well, I've tried to create a diversity mm -hmm. of sacred spaces from different cultures and different belief systems. Uh, the stone circle is basically a circle, so that's about as universal a symbol <laughs> as you can get. Yes. And I just particularly love stone circles. And um, Why do you love them? <laughs> because they create a clear inside and outside, a clear, <clears throat> clear, consecrated, holy space. And that's um, a place of protection mm. and safety. Mm. that's beautiful are those do you feel that your meditation is the most amplified then in the stone circles for you or does it just depend um, 
Well, pretty much when I go to the sacred spaces here, I'm praying for the people who come there to have an excellent spiritual experience and hopefully become enlightened as soon as possible. Mm. So it's really more about how can I bring my intention to the benefit of the people who visit here as well as all the beings who live here. <laughs> all the animals and trees. <laughs> what does being enlightened mean to you? It's a um, transformation from just caring for yourself to caring for others, to not having compassion for people suffering, to having compassion for people suffering, to go when you're meditating to be easily distracted, to be able to sit focused, uh, no thoughts, no distractions, uh, to go from just seeing the appearance to seeing the luminosity and the unity of, of the reality. Mm. Luminosity. That's a beautiful word. Yeah, luminosity is uh, fairly important. You know, we see here and we see this. Have you ever seen the movie The Matrix? You know, I have never seen the movie The Matrix, but I always describe our brains as matrix and holograms and just... I've never seen the movie, but I need to see the movie because I think a lot of the words and how I view reality is that is a lot of the things. Yeah, so from at the that end movie. of the Matrix movie, the hero uh, sees kind of this green luminous light and the bad guys, and then he realizes that the city's been an illusion. Mm. So indeed, this is illusionary. Mm -hmm. There's nothing here that has essence in and of itself. It's light. And so, you know, you can imagine squinting your eyes and instead of the appearance, white luminous light with no objects and no distinctions. Hmm. Beautiful. I do think that, um, I always just think that everything is light and that's why I can see you is because you are just a specific like electromagnetic light shining. <laughs> and that's how I kind of view everything yeah. in this hologram that I see <laughs> or perceive as this reality. So you mentioned uh, Kundalini. What spiritual practice or path are you doing? That's a good question. So I um, was raised, I'm Christian, but I'm very spiritual. Um, I think that like overarches everything, just like spiritual and I'm trying to learn, sorry, I love being here. It makes me so, like, emotional and it just is very special to me. <laughs> sorry, but I, so I was raised Christian. Um, I love my church that I go to back home in Colorado. It's very... <laughs> very like exclude or inclusive of everyone what denomination is it presbyterian okay. um so i loved my um like upbringing going to church and learning about god and i think in the last year of my life i've been exposed to like new spiritual paths so I'm kind of just like, I love learning about everything and I love learning about the chakra system and 
I'm really interested in learning more about like Hinduism and Buddhism and even some Jewish <laughs> like the tree of life I think that there's just symbols and so I think that right now my um I don't like having like one word or term to define my spiritual practice I think that I'm just like a spiritual person and that I like just having an open mind and taking everything that I see as like spiritual I don't know if that makes sense um but I'm trying now to learn more about shamanism and more Native American teachings um I never had been exposed to that different outlet so I think that my life right now is just kind of learning a lot about new um practices and then seeing where I go from there (laughs) okay you're a spiritual shopper I'm a spiritual shopper I think that I yeah I just want to learn about different things and then when I'm called towards certain practices I want to go explore those um I was going to the Ananda center um one time with my friend and then we were I've been to like a Kirtan event so I'm just trying to experience different things that I've never experienced good well I would uh (laughs) probably wait until COVID's done yes and then continue your search do you still go to the presbyterian church so i don't go to the presbyterian church i went to the presbyterian church in colorado where i'm from in my small little town and then when i moved to washington i was going to church home which is a non-denominational church in kirkland um and i did enjoy that so now i'm just trying to find but i really like coming here and i i go hiking almost every weekend And for me, that is like going to church. Um, I do a lot of like praying and meditating when I'm hiking. And I feel very, um, you know how you are describing how you feel like when you go to a church um, in Europe. That's how I feel every time that I'm in nature without my phone or without reality. Um, So for me, that's where I feel the most spiritual. Good. So I'm just trying to find the certain box to put me in, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't think you need a box yet, but I would, I would make that to be a goal, to find a path that you can integrate into your life that will make your life more spiritual and so you can live a spiritual life uh, fully mm-hmm. with integrity. And you don't think that you can do that without identifying with one discipline well what I recommend to people is to um, you know find a religion or find a spiritual path Mm -hmm. and when you find it integrate it into your life fully Mm. and at that point stop shopping and start practicing Mm. okay have you um, done any sort of like shamanic journeys or shamanic anything with that are you familiar with any native other native american practices oh sure what are some of the other things that you have done 
Well, uh, <laughs> Earth Sanctuary is filled with um, devas, nature spirits, deities. Devas? What's a deva? A deva is a uh, spiritual being of light. There's a deva for each species of tree or plant. Deva. Um, that was uh, became more well known back in the 60s and 70s with the Fintorn um, hmm. and Dorothy McLean and Peter and Eileen Caddy. Uh, there's a whole section in my book about Deva communication, how to communicate with Davis. So you can uh, work in harmony with the uh, spiritual hierarchy. Beautiful. How did you learn about just by reading books, or how did you become so knowledgeable on all these different things through people? Yeah, when I was in Ithaca, I mentioned the Foundation of Light, and uh, those people were very excellent healers, uh, brought in world-class healers and practitioners from all over the world. Uh, I mentioned Dorothy McLean. Dorothy McLean came over and gave a workshop, a day workshop on how to communicate with Davis. Mm. And uh, she also gave a talk some time after that about the importance of the big trees. What is the importance of the big trees? Um, they're very important for the planet. Mm -hmm. And um, the unity of the planet, the health of the planet. Mm. They're beautiful. <laughs> I love trees <laughs> a lot. I think they're so pretty. That's one of the, where I grew up uh, in Colorado, so flat. You can see for miles there's no trees. <laughs> so then when I came here, it was like a 360 environment change for me because it's so dry there. And then here it's so moist <laughs> and lots of trees. I really feel like my body fits better here in this environment. Good. That's really good to live in a place that uh, makes you feel whole. Yes. Yeah. I lived it. Well, you've lived in a lot of different places also. Does this, does this place make you feel whole? Yeah. No, this is the best place to live, I think, practically on the planet. Why do you think practically this is? Well, from an environmental standpoint, if you look at climate warming and you look at What's going to happen to the rest of the country? This is about going to be about the best place mm. as the uh, climate heats up. Uh, we have a wonderful community here. And uh, uh, it's wide diversity of people mm. and beliefs mm. and uh, a lot of good people. Yes, I've felt that a lot. I really enjoyed I've met so many amazing people. I've only lived here one year, and it's kind of overwhelming about with all the people that I've met <laughs> in the past year just moving here. Um, you don't think that the little amount of sun we get is, you think that's a good thing? Well, I grew up in Ithaca, New York. That's one of the cloudiest <laughs> places, so yeah, I, for I you. like clouds. Yeah, that's very true. And very cold in New York, too, in the winter, right? Yeah. Lots of snow. Yes. Do you still have family that lives in New York? Yep, my sister lives in Ithaca. Okay, do you go visit there? Yeah. Is Ithaca a, I've never, I'm not familiar with that too much. Is it a big city or? A... No, it's a college town. It's 
home to Cornell University and Ithaca College. Oh, okay. So it's smaller. It's upstate. It's in called the Finger Lakes area. Mm. Very beautiful area. Well, maybe someday I'll visit that area. How do you think that living in a city where there's not a lot of, well, there's still earth, but you know, not a lot of natural earth. How do you think that impacts one's ability to like connect with nature? Well, it's harder to connect with nature when you're living in concrete, <laughs> but we're in Seattle, so in an hour you can be in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And from my house, I live in Redmond, so a little bit out of Seattle on the east side towards more of the nature and mountains. And from my house, I can get to hiking in 16 minutes, and then I can get to no cell service by a little creek in 32 minutes. <laughs> All right. So it's very you got it easy. nailed down by the minute. <laughs> I'm glad. so I know if I need to escape and feel like I'm just in the earth alone, then I can easily do that. <laughs> Good. Good taking care of yourself. Thank you. It's important to take care of yourself, particularly in these COVID times. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Um, so I stayed at the retreat house here with uh, three of my friends, and it was very beautiful. We did some meditation led by my friend who has her uh, yoga certification. She went to Bali and did a long meditation retreat there and got her yoga certification and she's fabulous. She helps guide me in yoga nidra and a lot of beautiful practices that she's helping me learn. And when we were staying in the house, we saw Green Tara on the wall. If you could just explain who Green Tara is. Uh, Tara is a female Buddha. There are actually 21 Taras, one of them, one of which is Green Tara. Mm. And uh, uh, she's a very special, wonderful uh, Buddha. And uh, she has a wonderful practice uh, that helps remove obstacles and hassles in your life. Mm. So each of the Buddhas, sorry, I'm not very familiar with a discipline or anything, but the each of the Buddhas have different practices that you can follow under, or how does that work? Uh, there are a lot of different spiritual practices, uh-huh. uh, that many of which involve a deity or a Buddha. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so you visualize what Green Tara looks like. Mm-hmm. You say the Green Tara mantra, then you dedicate the merit for your practice. Uh, and then you've, you're merging the qualities of the Green Tara Buddha into uh, yourself. Mm. And as you do the practice, you become more and more like Green Tara. Mm, beautiful. I see White Tara when I go get acupuncture and uh, Chinese energy medicine done. There's a Green Tara sitting on the wall. Or her picture is on the wall. And I told my practitioner, oh, I've seen green Tara and now I've seen white Tara, who is supposedly supposed to help bring healing. Um, is how he explained. Yeah, white Tara, protection, long life. So you call them Buddhas and not goddesses as separate? Or do they... Yeah, I would, I would call them Buddhas rather than goddesses. Buddhas, okay. What is your favorite or... Which one resides with you the most currently in your life? Who are you? All of them. All of them. <laughs> you go through... I have a variety of 
spiritual practices I do that involve deities and Buddhas. Mm, that's very beautiful. So, you know, one's not, they're, they're all very special and they are, um, it's all about uh, trying to act like a Buddha. Mm -hmm. Altruistic and loving and kind. Exactly. <laughs> beautiful. So then how do you describe um, reincarnation and the purpose of that? So, um, uh, life is a series of births, deaths, and rebirths. We've all been born and reborn many, many, many times. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a number of different realms that we are reincarnated into. Uh, right now, we're fortunate enough to be in the human realm, uh, which is of the, of the six realms is probably the best realm to be in. What are the six realms? Uh, they're like, for example, we could be a, a duck. Mm. Um, we could be, oh, what happened to the slug? There was a slug. He's uh, away. <laughs> so there's a variety of them. Um, and the key thing is, while we're human, we want to do as much good as we can for others, to train our mind to be focused and be able to do calm abiding meditation so we can hold our mind steady without being distracted mm. so that we pass and when we die, we can take advantage of that um, non-body, out-of-body experience when we're in the intermediate stage between rebirth and uh, ho hopefully get a favorable rebirth or ideally even uh, get out of the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. And what does that mean to get out of the cycle of birth, death? Well, in Christianity, you want to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, there are many heavens okay. called celestial realms. What are they called? Celestial realms. Celestial realms. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. <laughs> so that's the purpose. That, so you think that while we're in the human realm, we should do the most good and be kindness to other people so that when we are reincarnated it's more likely to be reincarnated into this realm or yeah. up into the final realm. Yeah, it's karma. <laughs> you know, when you do good to someone, then good's going to come back to you. Mm, when yes. you harm someone, then you're going to have harm come to you in the future. If you make somebody happy, you're going to be happy in the future. When you make somebody mad or hurt, you're going to have that feeling in the future. Mm. So our daily behavior is actually creating our future. Mm -hmm. So this is long-term life investing. Yes, I fully believe in that. That's why when we went to Ireland, I love um, their karma and good karma. And I just really loved a lot of their verbiage in Ireland around that. Do you think that then in previous times that you've been reincarnated that those life experiences impact this or do you think that it's like everything from this birth impacts this or how do you yeah my teacher is holiness jigdal dr Saki once told me that who i am now is a result of everything i've done in the past what i'm going to be in the future is what i do right now mm, i like that so what you're currently doing just like you were saying when you're nice that's going to impact the future of what happens to you. Yeah, this whole 
the Dalai Lama once said that being altruistic and helping others is actually selfish altruism. You're doing good for others, but the end result of karmically is that that good is going to come back to you sometime in the future. Mm -hmm. So doing good is called merit. We want to build up as much merit as possible by the good deeds that we do for others. Merit. That's great. So where can people find more uh, information about the Earth Sanctuary and how can they find if they want to come visit? Uh, they should go to the earthsanctuary.org website. There's lots of info there. There's directions. Uh, we're open every day of the year during daylight hours. No dogs, please. And uh, yeah, please come up and bring the family. Yes, and then they can. There's the retreat that people can rent and stay at. Correct. Uh, the retreat center here is for people who want to do a spiritual retreat. Mm -hmm. So it's not a motel or a yeah. B and B. It's a place for meditation, prayer, spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful and so amazing to wake up at the Earth Sanctuary and then. I walked barefoot all around right when I woke up before my friends woke up. <laughs> Good. Watch out for the blackberries. Yes, very pokey. We ate um, a bunch of those. It was funny. My sister came and visited, and I took her here, and I had said, there's going to be a bunch of blackberries that we can eat. And I looked back, and she was she stood there for, like, many minutes just eating the blackberries because oh, I swear they taste better here than anywhere else um, in Washington. <laughs> Yes. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Chuck, for being a part of my podcast. You're welcome. So you're going to put this up on your website or whatever it is? Yeah, so I'll put it on Spotify and podcasts, and then I'll have a link and share it with you and share it with my followers on Instagram and my friends on Facebook. Great. Good Perfect. luck. Thank you. Thank you.